This is Media Sales Mastery, the podcast for media sales professionals. In each episode, we bring you information, insights, ideas, and interviews from some of the industry's top thought leaders. Head to mediasalesmastery.com to help pick the topic and guide the show. This is Media Sales Mastery, the podcast for media sales professionals. I'm your host, Jamie Wood. Our topic today, target client identification. Now, look, we've previously discussed similar topics. Um, you know, targeting relevant advertisers was an early episode. We've actually got a episode coming up where it's all about prospecting, which I'm really excited about. But I wanted to revisit this particular facet of media sales in detail. And it's important to call out, you know, you could sell niche media or broadcast. You could sell directly to clients or via an agency. You could work in a large developed market or you could be in a frontier market of which we have a lot of listeners. The principles of good target client identification actually don't change that much depend you know they're not really that uh, that different no matter where you sell being able to really clearly define your ideal client based on particular attributes absolutely key to ensuring you have a focused approach to market now the benefits of getting this right are pretty immense right we're talking about having higher win rates so winning more deals having more profitable deals because there's less friction in the transaction having a greater level of client retention generally because you're getting better results and it's actually a more aligned partnership from the outset. Our guest today is Greg Tremaine. So I've worked with Greg many times in the past in different roles. He is actually the owner and founder of a new company called Partnership Solutions. Greg is someone who's no stranger to really good target client identification because he's got experience selling multiple specialized media formats, things like branded content, live and syndicated entertainment, esports, multi-platform broadcast media, right through to just broader sponsorship and commercial partnerships that are really bespoke based on client needs. And I think in many of the roles that Greg you know, has been in, he's been tasked with identifying and in many cases creating a marketplace for a new disruptive or innovative media proposition. Because of this, his knowledge in this particular area is extensive, so I'm really keen to get him on. Now, an apology... Um, I'm, if, if the sound quality has been noticeably off in these episodes, clearly, um, you know, we don't have access to a studio like we used to. So I'm actually recording in my car of all places, believe it or not. Hopefully the strength of the content is going to offset the fact that we don't have that usual high recording standard, but I just wanted to call it out and go, it is what it is. We're going to press on ahead with a bit of a ramshackle approach to recording. Hopefully, um, you know, we'll be back to normal in a couple of months. The first five. Greg, welcome to the show. Thanks, Jamie. How are you, mate? Thanks for um, having me on the show, buddy. Oh, mate, good to talk to you again, obviously. Been a while since we worked together, um, but good to hear all is doing well. And look, before we actually jump into the topic, mate, tell us a bit about this new business you've launched, Partnership Solutions. Where were you before that, first of all, and, and what inspired you to start the business in the middle of a global pandemic? <laughs> oh, mate, it's always a, a good timing, isn't it? Yeah, look, I, I actually kicked off my my career in the um, in the agency side of the, of the fence. So I was with DDB for, for many years before I was lured over to the bright lights of the radio industry. Um, so firstly, with the guys at Osterio, where I was a, a client marketing manager at the time. Um, then went and worked for MCM Media, which became Authentic Entertainment, 
and uh, about 10 years after joining those guys and, and an awesome time working with them, um, I worked for HTE. So that's, you know, the uh, Australian Radio Network, iHeartRadio, um, and at the time they had um, AdShell as well. So I joined those guys as a partnership director. In that sort of capacity, I was working with all their major clients and agencies, um, developing new initiatives, which really had a focus of leveraging the group's radio, their digital, their out-of-home, their social assets, um, and of course, their, their leading on-air talent as well. I think the, you know, the best part of, of the, the tail end of that as well was getting involved in the esports industry, uh, where we launched Gfinity Esports Australia and um, rolled out a number of esports series, which was a great space to work in. Mate, it's, it's interesting, right, because you've talked around obviously broadcast media and agency but then you've talked about syndicated content you've talked about activations esports pulling together different broadcast mediums and creating a, a unique kind of proposition in the market and i suppose it's probably the reason i wanted to talk to you today because looking at some of your prior experience all of these media offerings whilst very compelling you know aren't necessarily that mass market proposition are they they're, they're somewhat unique or new or different than maybe some of the other offerings um, could you talk a little bit about the process you've used in the past when looking to build a client base and particularly, you know, why a thorough target client identification process is so important, particularly, I suppose, you know, in this new venture of partnership solutions, maybe talk a little bit about what that offering is and, and what your approach is to looking for partners uh, in that space is too. The business is a it's, a, it's a fascinating one. And, you know, I look back and I, I think about the best years of my career. Um, and they've certainly been spent working with major clients and, and rights holders in the entertainment industry. Um, you know, whether that's music, whether it's esports, live events, uh, some stuff in the sports space as well. So, you know, over the years, I've, I've really been able to develop, you know, unique creative opportunities for brands. Uh, and that's everything from things like original content, um, to live events, PR stunts, you know, brand activations, promotions, etc. So, now when I when I launched Partnership Solutions, which was just back in in July this year, so as you said before, mate, in the middle of the pandemic, but um, I felt there were plenty of people in the entertainment industry that had uh, a little bit of time to to help me out and, and get the model right. So, um, the model of the business is purely around helping brands to unleash the power of partnerships. So in that space, I'm working with a whole village of, of rights holders and industry specialists to develop and, and deliver unique opportunities for brands. Um, and what's important in that space, mate, is, you know, how do you build a client base in a, in a business like that? Um, and it's, it's had to be quite specialised. It's very much about, you know, needing to move well beyond what, you know, the sales or the media sales industry would traditionally target. Um, you know, it's moving away from traditional media buyers and it's about identifying where that business is going to come from. As you said, like they're, they're quite diverse and, and different properties that, uh, that I've worked with over the years and, and where the business is, is going to lead. And decisions about properties like those do come from different areas. It's not always from a media buying team. Um, it could be collaboration with a, an in-house 
um, agency specialist team, like a sponsorship and entertainment kind of entertainment marketing unit, for instance, within an agency. Or it could be at a client level. Uh, at client side, it might be a sponsorship manager, a marketing partnership specialist, an event management team, could be a PR agency. So now in this business that I've launched, it's really critical for me that I identify the right person to talk to. It definitely seems to be the case, mate, because I think you're talking about a complex group of stakeholders and bringing them together. And I dare say, like, understanding who actually holds the influence and who has the ability to move a proposition through the business would be absolutely critical to, you know, investing your time wisely and also making sure that you've got the best chance for success there. That's that's so true, mate. That's so true. And, you know, the most important thing there and you know, anything that, that I can certainly recommend there is, is just to do your research. I'm fortunate that over the years that I've built a really great network across the industry. So, you know, I really tap into that network to help me identify who the right people are to talk to. And I do, I do things like I'll look at who's commenting on relevant topics on um, you know, platforms like LinkedIn or on uh, some of the trade media. Um, I'll look at you know, who's talking at conferences around particular topics. Um, I'll do plenty of research as well around companies looking at different job titles, trying to get a, a really good understanding of company structures around their marketing teams, um, and around some of their specialist units as well. Uh, and most importantly, you know, for me, it's, it's about leveraging existing relationships to help me identify the right person to actually talk to. Well, it's an awesome topic uh, to get into right now, I think, in a, in a market where we need to be prospecting relative to those who actually have a need or have a business challenge that we can solve. It's something where when we think about the audience we're talking to of media salespeople, the ability to target relevant clients and to do it in a way that is, is absolutely strategic and aligned to your offering now probably more than ever is really important, mate. So it's a good setup for today's topic. I think we're going to go back to some of your previous experience and some of the other propositions. Uh, but let's jump into the main topic now. Media sales mastery. Media sales people who've maybe been in the role a little while, right? They've got a few clients already. What I want to know is, can your own revenues unearth any insights around who your ideal client actually is? And what I mean by that is, you know, is there is there some utility in grouping your revenue into categories or categorizing your clients as large, medium, or small, or key, super key, and target, et cetera, et cetera? What's your opinion on that? Yeah, mate, look, absolutely. I think, you know, quite often salespeople forget about um, just looking at what insights that they can generate from their own clients. Uh, you know, looking at trends in the revenue base of your clients can be can be vitally important. You know, getting that understanding of where your revenue is coming from, what sort of client categories or industry verticals is the revenue coming from? Is it coming from tech clients or is it from the grocery sector or, you know, a significant amount of revenue coming through from government, for instance? So, you know, looking at your client base and just asking yourself some questions of, you know, why are your biggest clients your biggest clients? Why are they spending the levels that they're spending with you? Uh, and look, mate, that, that could get down to the fact that you've got with your, your, your medium a perfect demographic profile that's, that's meeting um, the audience that they're chasing. Or, you know, perhaps it's the ability of your, your medium to reach the audience contextually. Or it could be about, you know, as we've certainly pushed for many years in radio about the you know, proximity to purchase 
um, or on the digital side of things, it could be about data capture abilities. I guess it's it's fair to say that you know looking at your own clients can help you really think about what are the ideal clients to go after. It's a good point because we often tell media salespeople to identify their best clients and then use that as a template or a guide for the type of target client that they actually want to go and engage. And I think, you know, it can sometimes be misleading to say your best client because we typically lean to which client do we actually have the best relationship with and do we enjoy working with the most? Who's our best mates, you know? Exactly, exactly. So so let's talk about, I mean, look, uh, uh, you know, I have to say like a good working relationship is absolutely imperative in my opinion a lot of the time. You don't want to go out and find clients that are difficult to deal with. But let's think about some of those true metrics of, you know, I guess of assessing a client. Like what might help someone look at their client list and rank their clients in terms of, you know, attributes that are desirable? You know, are we talking about profit margin? Are we talking about deal time in terms of time to get something over the line, you know, internal resources required to convert and service the revenue or opportunity for growth. Like, are there there certain metrics that are are really vital to look at when it comes to looking at your client base and assessing which ones are, you know, those key clients that you want to go and attract more of to your business? Yeah, absolutely, mate. Look, I I think, you know, if you asked any finance department, they'd say the best clients are the ones that that pay on time. So (laughs) I'm sure that comes into into play in a few organisations. But look, you know, I think that the guide and the thing that I've really focused on too is um, I've very much focused my career on looking at where the growth opportunity is with clients. Um, finding new clients, let's face it, it's it's not easy, especially going through the whole cold calling, um, introducing a new client, getting them set up um, and onboarding a new client. You know, the best clients are generally clients that you've already got in my in my mind. Um, so, you know, I often look at things like, you know, certainly as you're saying, you know, relationships important, but really digging under those clients and going, okay, how much opportunity is there for growth out of the clients that you've currently got? Uh, and that might be a case of looking at competitive data seeing what those clients are spending on other channels, seeing what they're spending with your competitors. Um, you know, is there significant opportunity for growth from, uh, you know, an increase in share, for instance? I was thinking, uh, Greg, it might also be cross-selling or upselling opportunities. So like, you know, if we've got a client that's investing heavily in our core business at the moment and maybe we've reached, uh, you know, we've reached the right investment level, is is there actually something to go, well, do they actually have relevance for some other products and do we have the ability to then, you know, introduce them to new platforms or to, um, you know, to increase their investment in other areas on, on other, you know, other assets that we have as well? And, and Jamie, look, the other thing that's really important and something to really consider about your best clients is, you know, they might, might be your best clients on one of the particular um, channels or one of your platforms, but are they your best client on every platform that you that you offer in the market? Um, you know, for instance, if you if you're in radio, you might have a, a a radio client that's one of your best clients. But you know, are they also spending with you in in digital? Um, are they spending with you in promotions? Are they spending with you in um, you know, content opportunities through some of your social channels? So you know, to have a think as well, just about those sort of clients and go, okay, is there opportunity for growth beyond just the uh, the, the main channel? 
Mate, it's a really good insight looking at your existing portfolio for growth opportunities because you're right, a lot of the work's been done. You know, they, you have an understanding of the client. Obviously, there's a pre-existing relationship. You're working with them, you know, and, and clearly getting solutions if you're retaining them on your, on your core business. And the ability to, you know, in more clinical sales terms, to upsell or cross-sell is absolutely an easy win that I don't think we probably do a, a good enough job of putting a strategic focus on. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we often hear two really opposing points of view, you know, as media salespeople on that approach that you're talking about. One is to constantly focus your time and energy on new business, right? And making sure you're always, you know, actively prospecting for new clients. On the phone constantly, yes. <laughs> oh, and like, and, and, you know, that healthy level of paranoia of what do you do if your biggest client falls over tomorrow? You've got to constantly refresh your revenue profile. You've got to constantly have that next client that can come in and become your new client. And, you know, on the other hand of that, though, the case for like account list management, which I know you're a big fan of, where you focus on retaining your the super key, I believe it is, growing your key, and then also potentially having target accounts in the mix there. It's a pretty interesting strategic way to kind of sell and grow your revenues. What's your perspective on this one, mate? Can a, can a target client be one who's already an active advertiser in an account list management type of uh, scenario? Yeah, look, ab- absolutely. And I've, I've been a big fan of this for, for many years. And I I think that's where I've got had a lot of the I guess a lot of enjoyment across my career is is working with some of these kind of mega key clients. And they've all been built from being initially like a target client. We've had them on board. We've grown them. We've turned them into a key account. Um, and, you know, when we're talking about key accounts, we're, we're sort of looking at saying, okay, you know, the top 20% of your clients, um, there's great potential there that they're writing 80% of your overall revenue. Um, so they may only be a handful of, of clients. You might have sort of four or five in your entire um, account list. But chasing new business, as I was saying, it, it's not always about securing new clients. Um, it's about you know grouping your clients into categories and looking for the growth potential within that, that patch. And that can really help you get some focus as well. So if you can identify who your key, your key clients are, and really focus on protecting and nurturing those key clients, learning about their business, getting a full understanding of what their challenges are, building your relationships across that client group as well. So, you know, certainly across the years on some of the key clients that I've worked on, I've really focused on trying to build a relationship with not only the um, the media agency, but certainly the client directly, um, but also looking at the agencies that sit around that client, um, you know, creative agencies, PR agencies, you know, a number of different organisations that play play an absolute key role around that, that key, key client. Because ultimately, the more you know about that client's business and their challenges, the more tailored you can put solutions to them um, and the greater opportunity you've got to drive revenue growth. And, you know, that's such a good point around looking at some of the other agencies or stakeholders involved in that client relationship. You know, the simple one for a lot of people listening is if you have an existing relationship with the media agency, do you have the ability to have them provide a warm introduction to the client team and, you know, beyond that, do you have the ability to also have a dialogue with the creative agency? If you think about those three 
sets of stakeholders in a client relationship, arguably, if you can add value, you know, at the, in all three of those in some form, it's going to really enrich the way that you actually service that client relationship. And I dare say, the influence, yeah, the influence doesn't necessarily sit solely with one person, doesn't? Oftentimes, it is a bit of a you know, it's a bit of a committee or it's a bit of a, um, a coalition that's sort of formed with a group of different people that sit in different parts of that kind of relationship between agency creative and client as well. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely true, mate. And I think the most important thing, though, in, in that sort of scenario is, um, and you hear it so often, is you don't want to burn any relationships with, with any of the parties, you don't want to burn an agency, a media agency, a great media agency relationship that you might have by going directly into a client or, you know, trying to, you know, circumnavigate the, um, the, the buying process um, and cutting, cutting anyone out of the picture. The most important thing here is it's about value exchange. It's about understanding that if you can spend some time with um, with a client or with a creative agency um, or with some of those other some of those other partners, if you can deliver a fair value exchange, then you've got a win-win across all parties. Absolutely. I mean, I think what you're saying there is interesting around you know if you've got a really strong working relationship with one of those key clients, knowing a whole raft of of information around the client, having all of that context, knowing the industry they operate within. And it sort of leads me to a question I had for you around, I mean, let's let's go for somebody that's maybe building a new client list, right? So a media salesperson that's come in and they're tasked with with effectively building a client list from scratch, right? Which I've, I've been there. It's not an easy thing to do. It takes a good 18 months, um, you know, and that's from a really considered focused approach too. I think Industry selection is an area I want to talk to you about, not just in COVID, where a lot of industries have obviously, you know, been heavily impacted, but I want to talk about the dynamic of industry and and looking at it from a target account perspective, right? The caveat here is I understand some agency salespeople in particular are going to feel somewhat constrained by the client industries that exist in their agency portfolio. Some direct salespeople probably have pre-assigned industries that they need to prospect into, um, you know, and we even might have some media outlets that really strongly influence the sales team. You know, if you're a, a prestige magazine title, you're probably going to have a strong opinion of the type of clients that you want to go and have appear in your magazine, as an example. So I guess all of that being said, right, what might be some of the reasons why a media salesperson would look to target a particular industry? And in your experience, mate, you know, how do they maybe streamline the approach of researching industries and getting an understanding of how those industries operate before making the approach to clients within that sector? I'm a big fan of this. I think you know, industry specialisation, it can be really a really effective way to drive revenue growth across your, uh, across your patch of clients. And the thing is, I guess, you know, not everyone can claim to have expertise in a particular industry if you've got a client mix or a client list that's actually a mix of a whole lot of industry verticals. If your clients are made up of grocery clients, telcos, autos, it's hard to be an industry specialist. But this idea of industry specialisation, um, look, it can take time, but it can be equally rewarding. Um, like to give you an example, like if you're assigned, say, you know, the automotive category, 
it can actually be really easy to get on top of all of the, the industry trends and insights. Um, you know, the way to do that, you jump on, you subscribe to some of the, uh, the key trade publications, uh, perhaps set up some Google News Alerts on particular, um, on, the, on the, the industry or particular brands within the category. Uh, you know, having a look at industry sales data, you know, perhaps jump on and register for some industry newsletters, get along to industry conferences. You know, the, the more you can do across that industry, the more knowledgeable that you become on that industry, the more, ultimately, the more valid business reasons you're going to identify. Um, you know, you'll know when one of, the, uh, one of the manufacturers is launching a new model, for instance, or you will identify some of the challenges being faced in the industry and you'll have enough information to have an opinion on it. So, you know, ultimately, information is power. Um, you know, it ensures that you're leading with the client's objectives and the, the challenges first. Um, and information, ultimately, it positions you as more of a consultant than a sales rep. That's a real difference in how clients will perceive you um, because ultimately you're creating solutions. Um, you know, here at time and time again, clients always will want to push you away, but if you're an expert in their industry, they're absolutely going to engage with you. It's amazing how quickly you can actually start to use the acronyms and the shorthand and the terms that people in a particular industry use because we all have them right like every industry has its own its own unique quirks its own unique way of speaking and you know this is something i used to find when i was prospecting as a direct rep i would typically target category right and i would typically it's very tactical but i would typically try to look at where government uh, stimulus or government money was going as a little bit of an insight into which industries might have either the means or the desire to advertise. So an example would be if the government's got rebates for water tanks or solar panels, it's probably an easy into a conversation to a solar company. Um, you know, if the, if the economy, you know, when I was in South Australia, the economy was obviously of manufacturing was, was compromised and tourism was kind of that next growth industry that the government was focusing on. So you were able to then sort of follow the money, if you will, and start to pick up the phone to tourism operators and go, hey, look, I understand there's a lot of emphasis on growing the economy um, or the tourism economy. You know, here's a proposition. When you are talking to people within those industry categories and you're prospecting, what I find is really helpful is looking at every phone call as an opportunity to absolutely get a meeting with a potential advertiser. But if you can't get one, get some information that is going to inform the next phone call, right? Totally you know, agree, mate, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and it's as simple as literally going, I remember one of the things I used to find with solar was like, no, we're not interested. It's like, okay, no problems. Hey, I'm just curious, who, who in your category, you know, who, who are some of the competitors in your space at the moment? Are there a bunch of you or are there only a few? What, when, what time of year is your, you know, is your business typically really busy? Is it busy at the moment? If it's busy, why is it busy? Um, those kind of things can really, really make your next phone call really sharp. Hey, it's Jamie from Insert Meter Outlet here. Look, I know you guys, your seasonality is this. I understand these are the main players. We actually have a proposition that's right for a business around this size. So it allows you to really quickly start to seem like, well, to know, but to, to really give the impression that you've done your homework as well. That's exactly it. I mean, you just want, you don't want to be coming across cold as a, as a, a sales rep that is, hasn't done their homework. And you hear it time and time again. Like it's, 
you know, the pressure on a lot of salespeople to, you know, hey, go and chase new business. You've got a list there of, you know, 50 clients. Who have you made contact with? Who, what meetings have you got in the diary? You know, all of those things add pressure to, to um, you know, sales professionals to, to, to deliver. And, you know, put yourself in the client's shoes at the other end of the, uh, the other end of the call. You know, they don't want a pushy salesperson on the end of the phone. They want someone who's actually going to help them, um, help them with their challenges. Someone that's going to provide solutions to those challenges and uh, and help them grow their business. Mate, you're absolutely right. And and a little bit of Google research, you'd be very surprised. I mean, every industry seems to have its own trade media or trade publication. Um, you know, every major category certainly does. And and to your point, mate, the ability to become somewhat of an industry specialist across four or five industries. I mean, that's that's something that takes time to build, but the level of commercial acumen that you build, being somebody who can speak with authority and with with a level of, uh, of experience across four or five key industry categories will absolutely elevate your reputation as a, as a very, very high-performing media salesperson, no question. Yeah, no, abs- absolutely agree. Absolutely agree. So let's talk about, you know, we know the type of client that we want to go for because we've we've had a look at our ideal clients. We know roughly the size of client we're going for. We know the industry they operate in. What about identifying the target buyer, right? So this is sort of prospecting, but it sort of leans into what you were talking about around a media salesperson identifying who that person or people are within an organization that are relevant, have the influence, have the political capital and the authority to actually move the deal through. Um, how do you, you know, your approach, how do you actually uncover the person's particular pain point or driver and then work with them to sort of put a proposition that they can actually move through the business? How does that process kind of roll out? Jamie, you know what, I, I think this gets down to just really being able to identify how far the buyer is down the buying process. And there's some real telltale signs there. Like if if you're responding to a trading brief that's come through from one of the agencies, for instance, then decisions have clearly already been made in terms of the strategy, the channel selection, um, budget allocations. Um, so, you know, in that case, your relationship with the buyer is is critical. You know, your, your opportunity for revenue growth at that point um, is probably a negotiation of, of what you can deliver in terms of an increased share. So to gain further influence, you really need to get further upstream in that buying process. Um, and that can mean trying to target, for instance, trying to target the strategists who are going to be interested in what particular insights you can bring to the table or what insights you can share with them on how you might be able to better influence the consumer. So, you know, one thing I find is it depends on on what you're selling as well. If your channel is, is very much anchored in, um, in social media, then being able to identify the, the, the social media teams within an organisation is, is critical. Um, you want to be dealing with people that understand your language. Well, I think we're, we're, we're fortunate as well in this industry as well that there is a high level of specialisation. Um, you know, across client teams, you've got specialist teams that look after sponsorship, for instance, 
or content integration um, or social or, or, you know, there's so many different special, specialists that we can, uh, we can target. And then, you know, ultimately it's about identifying who those key people are and then that'll give you the right um, direction into who the right person to speak to is and who the person is that you really need to influence. You know, it's interesting reflecting on that approach where, you know, you've got that, you, the peripheral view isn't just there. I'm not just dealing with an agency. I'm actually looking to influence further up the buying chain. I'm looking to do that persuasion, you know, which is like laying the groundwork so that when it gets down to the agency, they're familiar with your product and proposition, you're adding value. In a direct context, mate, this is one thing I'm finding really interesting, sort of now working back across the direct market a lot more, is... Media salespeople get really gun-shy when they're talking to somebody who is a marketing manager within a business about asking what the actual buying committee or the buying process is. So the question of going, hey, look, it's been great we've been able to talk. I'm just curious. If we were to put a solution to you that you feel is absolutely you know, on brief and something that you'd want to champion, what does the process actually look like from your end? How do you take that through your business, who do you need to get on board? How long does that typically take? How many stakeholders are involved? And who is ultimately your key decision maker that you defer to? Yeah, they don't ask the question. I've, I've seen it time and time again. And it's, it's you've gone through, you've done all the work, you've uncovered the business, you've uncovered their challenges, you've brainstormed with, you know, heaps of people, you've put together an amazing proposal, you've rehearsed you've practiced you've presented you've absolutely blown everyone away with your presentation in the room on the day um everyone's on a high and it's almost like you know i've seen people just breathe a sigh of relief okay presentation's done okay thanks guys um all right we'll uh, we'll chat soon and walk out of the mm. door that's when the sales process really kicks off is just understanding and contracting those next steps is absolutely critical. Um, you know, understanding, okay, as you, as you said, mate, like, you know, what is the approval process? Who are the decision makers? What's the time frame? Um, agreeing with them as well is, um, as to, you know, contracting those next steps. Okay, so can I call you, is it best to call you in a week's time? Um, what's our best next follow-up? Should we put a time in the diary now to review the feedback? You know, those sort of elements are, are really, really key. Oh, absolutely. And I think, you know, I can understand why there is a level of not wanting to maybe offend. You know, let's say we're talking to somebody who's the marketing manager. It's very difficult to go, hey, listen, do you have the sole authority to sign this off or is it, are you beholden to a higher power? But I think the right kind of positioning, particularly in that early uncovery phase, when the stakes are low, right? When it's an initial exploratory meeting um, where you're seeing if there's a match in your product, where you're seeing whether your objectives are aligned, it's really critical at that stage to get an understanding. And, and quite often, I think it's as simple as literally saying, hey, just out of interest, you know, if we're to put something to you and we're going to go away in our business and we're going to bring some resources in and we're going to really tackle your challenge, is there anyone else who needs to be part of this conversation? Is there anyone else who might better inform the work before we go away and do that so that when we come back, we are absolutely on brief? And for you guys, it feels like something that you're able to then easily sign off in your business. Adapt that to your own style. But I think, to me, 
many a deal has died, you know, very, very late in the piece by just not having that element of hygiene up front. Yeah, totally. And that's that's right. And, and you can certainly, you know, you can waste a lot of time in the sales process without having that information up front. And as you're saying, having that information right at the very start, um, you might identify, okay, wow, it's going to take, I didn't realise, but, you know, the way that the organisation structured, it's going to take three weeks to get a, a sign-off on this because they've got to get approval from overseas markets or whatever it might be. Um, if you've identified that up front, it might actually change the entire approach to your uh, to your response. Exactly. You know, it's interesting. Um, she was a guest on a previous episode, Emily Davis um, of LinkedIn. So we did an episode and it was about, you know, selling media while working remotely. And I reflected on the fact that, you know, Emily was actually engaging me about selling LinkedIn Sales Navigator, right? So she was actually a salesperson. She had me on a call and she'd engaged four or five people in my organization, right? And it became really apparent that she knew I wasn't the ultimate decision maker, but her sales pitch to me was very tailored that I'm the influencer or I'm the sales champion, right? And so what I mean by that is she goes, I know you got no pull, Jamie, but guess what? You're my man on the ground who I know wants this. And I know you've got enough pester power in your business that you're going to go to the guys and girls that actually do sign the checks and you're going to you're going to persuade them. So she was building leverage, right? And that's a really clever thing to do as well, mate, because, you know, being able to she, she's got your attention. She, she knows that you're an absolute key influencer in the decision, but you know, it may not have been a, a property that was on the, the radar of the, the final decision maker. She's, she's done a, a smart job there. And I think that's really key. And flip it back the other way. Um, you know, quite often we see, um, see in, in media sales, you, you, you're dealing with someone who's really excited about your, your proposal. It's, it's, everything's green lights all the way. Um, you couldn't have done anything, anything wrong. Uh, and then you get to the final sort of a approval process and then finally you, you find out they're not going to go ahead with it. And the reason they're not going ahead with it is, you know what, you had the buy-in from one person, but there was absolutely three other people that you needed buy-in from and, you you know, they weren't buying into the process at all. Let's jump into the last topic, Greg, because uh, we've spoke, we've kind of spoken around this issue, but I've got a real real-time kind of case study issue for us. Uh, from a listener, so let's jump into that now. I can't ask my sales manager that. She's withheld her name, which is fine. She's an out-of-home uh, rep. Now, this came to me a, a little while ago, mate, to be honest with you, and I went back with some answers, but I wanted to bring this to the uh, to the episode because it's really very much covering over the territory we've been speaking of. So I'm going to read the question. Let's reflect, see if we can give some thoughts and tips. So the question is... I look after three major agencies who all have a few very large clients. I've been in my role for five years now, and because of this, I know all of my clients and have targeted all of them proactively many, many times. When we do our quarterly business plan, my sales manager is always pushing me to create a hit list of new business with a minimum of five target clients and a plan for how I'm going to go and write more revenues against them. I worry that my sales manager just doesn't understand the dynamic I'm faced with and thinks that I might be pushing back or making excuses. I'm super keen to grow revenues, but I'm feeling a bit stale. Are there any suggestions you have for me to refresh my approach to targeting, in inverted commas, new business when I don't have any, inverted commas, new clients? 
I think we've all been in this situation, haven't we, where we've 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 been in a role for a number of years and you you walk in week in, week out, look at your client list, and it's like, okay, I've spoken to them, I know where they're at, no, they're not doing anything at the moment. And and you feel like there's every excuse under the sun. Um, and you do feel like you know them well and you feel honestly that sometimes you you feel like if you pick up the phone again, they're going to feel like you're absolutely stalking them. But, you know, in, in that case, I, I think breaking it down, breaking down your, your your whole looking at your whole account list management and firstly, perhaps it's a case of looking at the clients that are spending money and maybe building out a plan for revenue growth from your existing clients. Um, you know, as I mentioned before, you know, it does take time to find new clients, but it's a lot easier to nurture and grow the ones that you've got. Um, you know, we talked a lot before about becoming an industry specialist. Um, so, you know, can some really focused research on that client's industry help you identify some new valid business reasons to get in front of that client again. You might identify some, some new angles that you haven't thought of with a particular client that could lead to some, some revenue growth. It's also, mate, what you're saying there is really, it's worth unpacking more because I agree with you that you know there's absolutely opportunity to grow revenues from existing clients. Where I think the mental barrier comes in, because I've been in this situation myself as well, mate, is you almost know your clients too well, right? You, you know your clients so well that you actually put somewhat of a mental barrier on asking questions. Yeah, and you're second-guessing their response. Well, that's right. I mean, if I, if I think about the biggest benefit of being a new rep on a fresh territory is you've got a level of permission to go and ask the dumb question or to go and, uh, you know, not have that assumed or prior knowledge. And and I kind of wonder with this individual whether there's a way to not simulate that, but a way to actually see if there's anyone in the organization that has fresh eyes, right? So could you, to your point earlier, could you actually lean on the creative resource in your business or a strategic specialist in your business and invite them along to a client uncovery and see if there's a way of opening up some more lateral questioning um, to you know to get a better understanding of the client and the opportunity there yeah look you can even take that at a whole new level as well um, mate because you know and I've, I've done this a number of times where actually putting, putting together like a planning day for for a client what if you were to set up something where you could get a number of different uh, people from that client into into your office um, and have a really good value exchange where you could share some some uh, perhaps some some research that that you've been working on, or some particular audience insights, or something specific around their industry that's that's relevant. Maybe it's a case of bringing in a number of the uh, creative resources from across the business. Um, you know, bringing in some of the the C suite even to just show how important that client is to the business, um, and facilitating a, a planning day or a planning afternoon. I've done a couple of them in the past and they're really effective, particularly if you get the casting right. And what I mean by the casting is, you know, yeah, bring in like, you know, I remember we had, we had like a chief marketing officer, we had uh, like a technology person, we definitely had some creative specialists, but we had some, the idea, the premise of it was to deepen the partnership. And I remember specifically going into the room, talking about the broadcast media plan 
and I remember leaving the room <laughs> with a really clear objective of us helping them with a recruitment drive to get staff into the business. Um, fascinating conversation and, and, and a really good example of a new revenue opportunity that could have only been created by having that group of people in the room and really doing that type of uncovering. Absolutely. And, you know, you think about some of the broadcast channels as well um, and the opportunities they've got to deliver some exciting experiences for these clients as well. So, you you know, you bring them in for a planning day and then, you know, radio's the, the, the kings of it, I guess, of, of going, hey, come in for our planning day and then, um, you know, some of the talent's going to pop in and have a drink with us afterwards. You know, so there's some just nice ways to just show that, show the importance of that client to the organization and um and you know it make them make it enjoyable make it a, a fun experience um the more fun and, and open those clients are the more they're going to share the more you'll uncover and as we're saying you'll, you'll walk out with an opportunity that you hadn't considered going into the room Exactly, exactly. And I think also, you know, if you've got a relationship forged over five years with a couple of key clients, you're going to have an inherent level of knowledge and trust where probably it's worth actually seeing if you could push out onto the frontiers in some new product innovation with them. Um, You know, I understand to an extent it's like, well, we need to do this in the pursuit of revenue, but it's like, if you've got the ability to go to a client and say, we've done a lot of thinking about your business, we've worked together for a long time. We want to try something new and different in our medium and we want to try it with you because you're a trusted partner. Like that kind of stuff is really, really powerful as well. Absolutely. It's, it, it's you know, it's inviting the client in to come in and test and learn some new product or or get involved in a, a research project that the, um, the media organization might be doing. You know, some of that those exclusive opportunities just because you're a great client of ours, hey, you know, you're invited into the club. Like that is super, super powerful and, and certainly builds on that relationship. Yeah, well, look, I, you know, to this person, I think definitely they might want to reach out to you, Greg. So what I'll do is I'll put your LinkedIn and I'll also put the Partnership Solutions uh, website into the show notes of this episode, mate. We'll make sure that we uh, we spread the gospel. I suppose just kind of in drawing this to a close, mate, and thank you for, for being so generous with your time. For context, I'm not in a studio tonight. I'm actually recording in my car. So I apologize for my audio quality, but I want to thank you for working with me in these constraints in this lockdown world we're in, mate. Um, tell me, mate, you know, targeting targeting the right kind of clients, target client identification. Is there any parting thought for the audience um, that you want to kind of leave on this topic that they can take and apply this week? Yeah, thanks, Jamie. And look, you know, as I said across this podcast, mate, it does take time to find new clients. So really focus on that account list management. Look at who your, your key accounts are and absolutely nurture them, grow them, and then put together the right strategies around your target clients. The other key advice I've got is for all salespeople is stop selling. Don't sell Put the client's objectives first. Put yourself in their shoes and create solutions and create opportunities which get them excited. If the if the solutions and those opportunities are right, then the clients will buy from you. You won't sell it to them, they will buy from you. Um, and in doing that, you're going to build trust, you're going to show a really honest approach and you're going to be able to build integrity with clients. Um, the other thing to remember too is this market, certainly in Australia, the market's small. 
people move. Um, be really careful about how you build relationships with clients um, and agencies. Show them and build trust with it. is everybody that you that you interact with, because whoever is a client today may not be your client tomorrow. And those target clients that you're chasing t- today that may not be a client now may be a client in a couple of years' time. So, you know, protecting those relationships and nurturing relationships is absolutely critical. And finally, when you are interacting with, uh, with a client and you're chasing business, don't just make it another sales call. Really look for what is that value exchange? What's going to engage the client? what is going to get them wanting to do more with you and um, to drive more, uh, you know, more business with you. Fantastic summary, mate. Some great takeouts there. And uh, I really appreciate you going into that in detail, mate, because I dare say having seen you in action and and seen some of the propositions you've taken to market, you are absolutely the guy uh, to, to talk to about this. So, you know, to the audience, reach out to Greg. He's a great operator. I can vouch for him. He's a very friendly guy too, as if you haven't picked that up on the uh, on the podcast. Uh, but look, mate, thank you very much for being here today. Yeah, Greg Tremaine. no problems at all, mate. And look, you know, if anyone wants, wants to reach out, just um, hit me up on LinkedIn or um, through my website, partnershipsolutions.com.au. Um, love chatting to everybody. So, you know, reach out. Let's, uh, let's chat. And let's see if we can create something amazing. Greg Tremaine, thanks for your time tonight, mate. Thank you, Jamie. You've been listening to Media Sales Mastery, the podcast for media sales professionals. Head to mediasalesmastery.com to help pick the topic, guide the show, and don't forget to subscribe to receive new episodes each week.